What do Blimps, Backstreet Boys, InSync, McDonald's, Platinum Records, and a man named Lou Pearlman have in common? Welcome to Cryptic Soup. Guys, I know I could make a joke here, but I think my man JT says it better than me. Take it away, Justin. Back in the 90s when the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC were put together by Lou Pearlman. There was sweet harmony on stage, but discord behind the scenes, as the guys topped the pop charts but weren't getting paid. Turned out there was a lot going on that nobody knew about other people's money and the manager they called Big Papa. Hey Kylie, how are you tonight? Oh, I'm, I'm okay. I'm really hoping for some warm weather. Why is it so cold out? It is literally not that cold out. Corey literally mowed the lawn today. Okay, but it's still not warm like it was in Virginia. But it's not cold. It was literally like 80 degrees in Virginia. Hey guys, I'm Athena. And I'm Kylie. <laughs> and uh, how's the weather where you're at? <laughs> Tell us about it. Is so, it, Is it summer yet? Speaking of summer. Oh. Uh-huh. I like girls that wear Abercrombie and Fitch. I'll take her a bad one. Wish summertime girls. Uh huh. You know, do you like that song? I do like that song. They are in this. I didn't know that at oh. first, but I think we need to talk about the most important thing ever. Are you a Backstreet Boys girl or an InSync girl? Backstreet Boys. What? Mm-hmm. That is the wrong answer. Are you serious right now? <laughs> the wrong answer. Are you serious? You like Backstreet better? I liked both of them equally. Honestly, like I. Okay, very much like would put in one one CD because I'm old and then would put in the next CD. <laughs> put in your Walkman. Yes. Take a walk. I know, right? <laughs> same. Um, I'm an sync person, just okay. so we're on the same page. But I'm not a Justin Timberlake person. Yeah. Um, okay. So that's probably why I like Backstreet Boys more because I really like Nick. So I no one come for me. I know he's fucking gay. I'm a huge fan of Lance. He's so dreamy. The gay one. <laughs> Love him. He's even I beautiful. You were about Justin, as I was he's really old. confused. Like, no, Lance Bass. He's even hot now. Oh my god. He's in the documentary. He's so handsome. I'm getting giggly. I love boy bands. You are your your cheeks are red. <laughs> okay, I really have a thing for boy bands. They're just like the choreography is good. They're so in sync. Not even meaning to make a joke right there. <laughs> like literally, I just like I love the the concept of it. It's just so adorable. Like it reminds me of being a kid. Nowadays, I'm not as big into boy bands, but I will say One Direction had it going on. They knew what they were doing. I did like One Direction, which is weird. Like. They were so much later in life, but they still rocked the boy band phase. Yeah. I can't think of that many boy bands that like super thrive other than K-pop. But I'm like ignoring that concept. Yeah. K-pop is fucking huge, though. Hmm. Well. If you guys don't get the hint of why we're doing this discussion here, uh, it is because we are talking about the boy band con. Do you know anything about this, Kylie? No, I didn't even know cons were like a thing. And when you started talking about cons, I was like, like Comic-Con? Like, (laughs) I am so under a rock when it comes to this. So I'm ready to learn some shit. Well, I used the documentary Boy Band Con for a lot of this, which you can watch it for free on YouTube. 
And in the documentary, it is a little confusing because they will have people give their opinions of Lou, the bands, what life was like in the 90s, things like that. Then they'll talk about the boy bands. Then they'll talk about what happened, how they were discovered. But then they'll jump all the way to like the 1960s and how Lou was brought up. And then all of a sudden they'll jump back to the boy band and then they'll jump back to Lou's life. And then they'll they'll like keep jumping back and forth, which in a documentary, that's like not that bad because you can show photos and videos and things. Yeah, it's pretty normal for like a movie type thing. Yeah, you can like put little disclaimers at the bottom being like, it's now 1960. It's now 1978, whatever, you know. But in a podcast, uh, I can't do that as well. (laughs) So I didn't want it to get super messy. So I wrote this as more of like a linear pattern so that you don't get as lost. But if you actually watch the documentary, you're like, oh, my God. Athena missed this huge chunk. Nah, it'll be like 20 minutes later in the documentary. It's just the documentary itself is very confusing. Well, disclaimer for yourself there. Well, (laughs) kind of a disclaimer for me, but also just like if you watch it, it has a way different vibe than how I wrote it. And I realized that afterwards and it feels like you get a lot more knowledge almost when you like watch it because you're getting it in different spurts rather than just like listening to it from start to finish. I don't know. But this this whole concept is really weird because I found out about it through other people and I was alive during all this. I knew these bands like I liked these bands, saw these bands, all this kind of stuff. And it centers around the 90s boy bands, a con man, Ponzi schemes, all this kind of stuff. But like. It's way more intense than I would have figured it to be, and it has a lot of like secret things that I didn't know. And so um i'm gonna be super informative but i'll be honest there are moments that kylie and i might just start singing backstreet boys are in sync yep because we are from the 90s yeah we can't help it it's just who we are um it's who we are obviously (laughs) literally so um let's jump on a 90s train let's go and think back to the good old days of low-rise jeans denim on denim outfits and uh all the pop songs flooding the radio So before we talk about boy bands, we need to talk about where they came from. And it's not really a matter of where, it's more of who they came from. So we're going to start by talking about who Lou Pearlman is. Louis J. Pearlman was born June 19th in 1954. He is a Gemini. He shares a birthday with Paul. Is it Dano? I think it's Dano. Is it Dano? Okay. Which he's the Riddler from the new Batman movie, guys. If you haven't seen it, I have beef with you, but it's okay. He's amazing. He is really good, good though. I thought he was someone else, though. Who am I thinking of? It'll come to me in the middle of this and I'll be like, oh, yeah, I don't remember. He's in. He reminded me of a different actor. He's in another movie. You know how I love to talk about the archives of old episodes we have. We talked about him actually in another episode. We talked about him in Sylvia Likens because we talk about how the Sylvia Likens movie is called The Girl Next Door. And there's also a movie about a porn star with a girl named Athena and it's called The Girl Next Door and he's in that movie too. The porno one? Yeah, the porno one. Not, nice. not, the, not the child getting murdered one. That's funny. So it's kind of funny how that all rolls around. But that is also National Eat an Oreo Day. Mm, that one I can get behind. I can get behind a good... I like the golden Oreos. Okay, the golden Oreos are good. I didn't They're know they were good. really good. But like, I just... Regular... You don't like this, but like a big old regular glass of milk and some Oreos. Oh, I was afraid you were going to say Corey that. Corey eats a whole fucking row of Oreos like it's nothing. And I, I don't know where he puts them. 
and he'll do it after he eats like dinner. Hmm. Like that's impressive, really, Corey. I physically cannot eat that much. (laughs) So Lou was born in New York City. He grew up in Queens. He was an only child. He was born to parents High and Rainy. His parents. I like Rainy though. I do like Rainy, but High is very. It's H Y, guys. Just so you're aware, but like, you'd think it'd be like H Y E. I was trying to think of what it could be short for. You're going to hate this. I was sitting there and I was like, hi, hi, sif, hi, soul, you want to know what I'm thinking of? Hymen. Yes. <laughs> that was the only thing that. Riverdale? And I was like, well, I'm done. Oh, yeah. That's all I'm thinking of. Huh. What a bad name. Hi, me. <laughs> His parents ran a dry cleaning business. His mom had another job. I think she like worked in the school or something, but mostly his parents both worked at this dry cleaning business. Lou, when he was young, was a dork and that's putting it very politely he wore a pencil protector like every day and he wore polyester pants that he wore up past his waist they show a picture when i say past his waist i'm talking to his nipples like straight (laughs) up three quarters of his body is these pants and then he has a little pit that is not in the pants he only had one friend and that was alan gross alan and lou were both only children they were both kind of outsiders And they had this really weird fascination with aviation, but mostly blimps. Now, like I knew kids that liked airplanes, aviation, space, all that kind of stuff. But like, no, these guys liked blimps. Like they were fascinated with blimps. Didn't they like kind of new? Kind of. And also you'll find out due to where they live, it also made sense. But you never hear people be like, yeah, I I could I could go for a good blimp watching today. I don't know. It's just like. I could see it maybe if it was hot air balloons, but blimps just, I don't know. I just thought it was weird. It is a little weird. Lou spent a lot of his time alone or locked in his room because he would be in there just alone drawing up business plans. He knew in life he wanted to get rich and make a lot of money. It was his main concern since he had grown up poor. He didn't want to like continue to be poor and making money was the most important thing to Lou. He always kind of thought of himself as this like, entrepreneurial god Mm -hmm. (laughs) who okay so if the word is entrepreneur it's entrepreneurial yes Ooh, that's a hard word entrepreneurial Mm, that's not i still even fucked it up my mouth does not like those letters put together entrepreneurial yeah is it neural or neural neural hmm so he thought he was the shit (laughs) (laughs) yep (laughs) that's where we're getting Lou would tell stories about his childhood to the band members later, obviously. He would always make it seem like he was always this big-brained businessman, though. So this is a story he told later in life. And he developed the story as the years go on, obviously. But the story is this. Lou had a friend named David. He went by Dave. Dave had a paper route. But Dave didn't want to do the paper route anymore. So Dave sold the paper route to Lou for $500, which it was a big deal because how did a kid have like a $500 chunk of change? Well, Lou thought, why would I only buy one paper route when I could buy multiple paper routes? So he bought a few different kids' paper routes and then paid other kids less money to start delivering the papers for cheap. He then began customizing your newspaper experience, as he called it, to give you more of what you would pay for and like more of what you want he would write out these index cards with your preferences like 
Do you want your paper left in the doorway? Do you want it under the mat? Do you want it in the mailbox? Do you have a like a sliding door you want it next to? Like, what is the deal? Then to make it even better, Lou started a business deal that he struck up with Dunkin Donuts, where he would then bring people their Sunday breakfast and the mail. So you would, you know, get your mail, your coffee and your donuts all delivered to your door or wherever you ask for it. He, in a sense, made an entire full scale business at this point. And the new step that he had to take would be to pay back the $500, which he did that. And he paid back the entrance interest. Sorry. And he started making huge profits. So this is a story he told people, right? Mm -hmm. That makes him sound like a great businessman, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That whole story is lies, though. Right. You can't sell paper routes. And Lou didn't have friends. So how did he get these friends to sell him this? It made Lou seem like a liar, but also a smooth talker because the people that did believe it were like, wow, he can just do anything. But the people that knew him were like, yeah, he's full of shit. Like, what the fuck? Lou was also known to dodge questions, make up stories and lie a lot. And people did notice it. And they also noticed that he would brag all the time. And so you could never know if anything was true or not. For example, Lou said he was related to Art Garfunkel from Simon and Garfunkel, who was wildly famous at the time, right? He told everyone, yeah, like Art and I are super close. Uh, He's actually going to play at my bar mitzvah. And since he lied all the time, people were like, yeah, that's not going to happen. But people were so wanting to know if it would or wouldn't happen that tons of people went to his bar mitzvah. And then guess who fucking showed up? Art did. He just came to it. What? He actually was related to him. So see, he sprinkled little bits of the truth in there so that questioning him was super difficult because then everyone was like, well, should we believe him? Because Art really did show up and he was really related to Art Garfunkel. So like, when is he lying and when is he being honest? Like, those are the shadiest kind of people. And he was doing that. Lou's childhood home was at Mitchell Gardens Apartments, which is located across from Flushing Airport. This is how I said that kind of comes full circle. Well, Flushing Airport had a lot of blimps that went up and down in their area and in their like um, neighborhood. Well, it's called a hangar. Yeah. Yeah, they had a lot of blimps in the hangar. Lou and Alan would oftentimes go over there and watch the planes or the blimps take off and land. So at some point during high school, Lou used his position in the school newspaper to tell the town area that he or well, it's not a town, it's a city, New York. <laughs> yeah, it's a small town. <laughs> well, he said that he was going to do a story about blimps. And so he got the chance to ride in one. This meant everything to Lou. But that's also a lie. <laughs> okay. What actually happened, uh, according to more people, was that Alan had the, the story in the school newspaper. Alan went on it and this whole thing. And then Lou just tagged along. So even that we like, uh, we don't know, but it's in his biography, even that it was him and Alan and everyone else is like, yeah, no, that's not how it happened. But there is photos of him in this blimp. So we're like, well, I mean, it did happen. It just may not have happened how Lou said it. It technically happened. Just there was another side to the story, which is everything, everything about Lou's stories always. So at this point, Lou's like, you know, I want to do this. I want I want to own a blimp. Like that was his goal now. Okay. He's like, I want to be the blimp guy. But the blimp business was not Lou's only aviation dreams and adventures. During his first year of 
college at Queens College. He was a student and he ended up writing a business plan for uh, an accounting class where it was a project. And he based the idea that there could be helicopter taxi services in New York City because like sometimes the streets are so flooded and stuff. Right. From what I got from it, it's kind of almost like an Uber. You would also share the ride type thing. It was very confusing to read. But by 1970s, they actually launched a mini business proposal based on this business per plan per plan (laughs) plan. And they started with one helicopter and it did decent, but it never went further than that. So while in college, Lou also started working for Goodyear. And around that time, he realized you could use blimps commercially and it would be a great money making scheme. Because you could advertise on them, which I'm very confused because I've heard that story multiple times. And like even they say that thing in the documentary. So what were they using for blimps if they weren't using them commercially before this? Just to fly around? Do you see what I'm saying, though? Like, yeah, blimps, blimps aren't like hot air balloons where you can see out. They're not like airplanes where you can get right. from one place to another fast. So if you weren't using blimps commercially, what do you what were you using? them for? It's not like that Archer episode where they're all in a blimp. Yeah. Like, I, I'm very confused. Which I also like think of blimps that way, which is a problem because they are not that way. <laughs> which that's making me very much question, though, like. If Lou is just saying that to make himself seem great again, but everyone said that. So I don't know. I'm just a little confused. Whatever. Well, Lou saw this potential and he started a company with Alan because remember, Alan was his BFF. They bought a $10,000 blimp. It was very old. It was like 10 plus years old. It had definitely been through it all and it was kind of falling apart. They called this the Airships Enterprise and this blimp was just on its last leg. Alan right away was like, this blimp is not going to go any sort of distance long run without falling apart. Like he said that from the start. Well, Lou signs up for a promotional event and it's with Jordash and the gene company, which still exists. Didn't know that, but it still exists to this day. He said that they were going to paint the blimp with real gold And then put the Jordache logo on it. And this real gold paint cost them $50,000. Also made the blimp even heavier, obviously. Obviously. So the goal was they were going to take this blimp. It was going to fly from where they were over to, you know, the promotional event, wherever that was. They would show up at this certain location and it would have the logo. It would look great. Cool. It would sell jeans. But before that even happened, the blimp crashed into some trees and never made it to the party. This obviously upset Jordache. But they still got a lot of promotion because every news station ran it and they kind of like made puns about it. Like. DoorDash jeans aren't running from this. And so, like, I don't remember what it yeah. was, but yeah. But maybe. Don't paint it and also look into who you're hiring. I don't know. <laughs> right. Like real gold, really. Alan got really upset because he started to realize this was a con set up by Lou. Because Lou bought this blimp super cheap, you know, the $10,000, and then he only spent $50,000 painting it, which I say only $50,000. And I said it like that because Lou put out insurance on the blimp for $3 million a week before the event. Yikes. So he knew he was going to commit insurance fraud. Um, Good homeboy Alan did not know this. So sweetheart love darling dearest Alan was like, 
yo, something's wrong here. And I'm it's smelling real fucking fishy at this point. Mm. So Alan started asking questions because he was starting to feel really betrayed also because he thought he was going into this business to have a business, not to be with a partner and not not to have a con. Yeah. So Alan started wondering what Lou's schemes were that he was working on and stuff. And Lou turned super passively threatening towards Alan. And Alan ended up giving up his shares and left the company. With Alan out of the picture, Lou could start doing as much shady business methods as he wanted to make lots of money and have less of a chance to get caught because no one's there to keep him in check anymore. With Alan leaving, it also pretty much gave him the opportunity to start an investment plan which is a con that he uses later to run on a lot of people. But that one's really confusing. So I'm going to wait and save that one for later in the, in the timeline, because it does kind of like he starts planning it now, but he doesn't put it into effect until after the boy band. So, you know, where we're just put it in the back burner, put it, put a pin in it. A pin is put. (laughs) (laughs) So Lou ended up getting most of this insurance money and that funded his next business idea. It also funded him to move to Orlando in 1991. He bought an airship hangar, which he named Airship International. You're going to find out this man is wonderful at naming things. Aren't like literally everyone we cover is just (laughs) so great at naming things. These con men, like just be slightly original. It'll make things be fine. I don't know. He bought another blimp. Of course he did. He also bought this really beautiful, massive house. And he started making a life for himself in Florida. So Lou, which is funny that he's in Orlando because we just did an episode about Orlando. We did. The SeaWorld episode. Lou would lease. Actually, I talk about SeaWorld in this episode, too. Oh, the next sentence. (laughs) Oh. So Lou would lease out his commercial blimp to companies such as MetLife Insurance He also leased it out to McDonald's and SeaWorld, which were three of the most major companies at the time. SeaWorld is a terrible company. We did a episode about it in the past. Go uh, check that out if you want to hear some crazy things you might not know about that company. Just maybe a little bit of our opinions sliced into there a little bit. Just like one or two. (laughs) It's not like we're opinionated. (laughs) Airship International suffered though because some of its clients ended up leaving and then three of the aircrafts crashed over time so that's why he stopped doing the blimps for that and stuff it's kind of like a he he tries to brush over it like oh you know like i just moved on to my next adventure no he kind of like got forced out of that one because he was doing terrible but he wasn't doing shady he was just doing badly like he wasn't keeping up with maintaining things correcting things going wrong and stuff You kind of need to do that when things are going in the air. I was going to say, especially if it's like something going in the air. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So Lou stepped into a secondary business venture in his company. He kind of just like sidestepped the original company and he still wanted to use the same airplane hangar and everything. So he called it Transcontinental Airlines. And I'm going to talk about Transcontinental a lot. Sometimes I'll call it Transcon, but just know it's always Transcontinental. At Transcontinental Airlines, he was going to rent out airplanes and jets, which is how we get into boy bands. Now, what I'm going to start talking about is Backstreet and NSYNC finally, but this is actually the intro of the documentary. So see, you didn't even know who Lou is at this point in the documentary. 
you come into the documentary hearing how Backstreet Boys got formed as a band and you don't even know there's a con about to happen because you'll start watching and you're like, oh, what does this have to do with anything cons? Because you don't even hear about the first con until like 30 minutes into the episode. And it's only one episode. It's an hour and a half long. It's a little long. It's really good, though. You get to see some of the members talk. Uh, I know Lance is in it. I know Ashley Parker Angel from O-Town is in it. Still a beautiful man. Uh, Someone else is there's like two or three in sync and Backstreet Guys. JT's not in it. Neither is Nick. Aaron Carter's in it. Man, Aaron Carter is rough. He's rough, y'all. So at this point in the documentary, they start talking about how Lou got his start with the boy band world because he was, like I said, working on these jets and like renting them out and stuff. He was also customizing and outfitting luxury jets to lease them to people like rock stars and bands. And at this point, someone very specific rents out one of his airplanes and it's new kids on the block, which were the number one boy band at that time. Mm -hmm. But very young kids like... Mm -hmm. I want to say they were like between 17 to 19. All yeah, of they them. were, they, they were, were young. very young. Yeah. But I want to say they were almost all either legal or very close to legal because that's kind of how he picks the ages of his boys. And I, I call them his boys and you understand why later. But. So Lou started asking around, he's like, why are these kids renting this private plane? Like, how did they get the money? Like, what do they need this for? And like, how, how. What's the deal here? What makes them special? Yeah. And people were like, do you not know who New Kids on the Block is? Like, come on. And people were like telling him pretty much the statistics of how much money these kids are worth and stuff. And instantly, instead of seeing humans, he saw like walking dollar signs. It's like the cartoons where they're like, wing, clink, clink, clink. Yeah. And it, and <laughs> like you see the um, money signs just like, ting, 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 ting. Yeah, but it's the money signs where like you do the slot machine. Yes. And then it's like the slots through the, through their eyeballs and then it stops on the money signs. That yeah. is exactly it's, what happened. It's exactly what I'm thinking of. So he realized how lucrative and money making a boy band would be. Now, Lou realized if he wanted to do this, there's like there's there's some rules to the boy band world. It's not just like, you know, you go out, you find a kid and, you know, his two friends and that's a band. So the rules you got to play by and then you'll succeed. And here are the stereotypical rules. Typically, a boy band would be three to five male members. It's not really a group of four because you need all the different dichotomies. And you need an odd number for some reason. But also, they don't play instruments. They like to play club tracks. They have very intense synchronized choreography. And each band member has to have a very distinct own personality for a different fan to latch onto, and they gotta be charismatic. All these traits put together will make a 13-year-old girl lose their mind and become attached, and it'll cause a fan to emerge. You know what I'm thinking of? <laughs> what? <laughs> Bob's Burgers. The episode when Louise finally is like, Getting into the boy band because like Tina likes the boy band and then she's like, mm -hmm. oh, he's so cute. I want to punch him in the face. Yes. <laughs> I just want to slap it. I want to slap it. I just want to slap his hideous, beautiful face. Um, you mean kiss? No, I mean slap. Whoa, you got a bad girl. Like, that's what's happening here. <laughs> I love that show. <laughs> so in Orlando in 1991, they start talking about how Orlando's a, the tourist capital of the world, which is... Again, we talk about in our SeaWorld episode. 
But in the documentary, they say that Orlando is like affordable Hollywood because you still have a chance of being discovered there because of how much is happening. But like, it's way easier to live there than in California. You can live paycheck to paycheck in Orlando and you can't do that in California. You won't make it. So that's a big reason why Lou used Orlando as his hunting for talent ground. So when you're hunting and looking for talent, they send you out these things. Uh, They talk about this in the episode. It's called a blue sheet. You get it in the mail because that's how you get things back then. There wasn't really email and stuff. You, You looked in your fucking mailbox outside and hoped that you had a new subscription to 17 magazine in your mailbox (laughs) and next to it was your blue sheet 17 magazine your little teen vogue that had your lipstick secrets and your delia's magazine of the week so essentially a blue sheet is like a classified ad from the newspaper but it only is about auditions different auditions you can go to and it's it's free like anyone can go to them And that's how the Backstreet Boys were actually formed. It's not like one of those bands where people knew everyone and people came together. They formed in a garage, nothing like that. So AJ showed up because of a blue sheet and Lou saw him and he signed him that day. Same with Howie. So AJ and Howie came because of the blue sheets. Well, then later, because of a different blue sheet in 1992, Nick auditioned and he got in the band. And then Lou's Lou's limo driver knew someone who knew Kevin and Kevin was working at Disney World, actually, as like an entertainer. And so they got Kevin and then Kevin started. (laughs) This sounds ridiculous, but this is really how it happened. Well, Kevin (laughs) started talking about his cousin, Brian, and Brian showed up. And then one day Lou's like, yeah, this looks like a boy band. Can you guys like uh, can, can can you just sing a little melody for me? They all started singing and they realized that was it. They were a full-fledged boy band. They had the harmonies. They had the look. They were it. I also loved Brian. Brian and Nick were my... my Brian is kind of adorable in like a nerdy way. He's adorable. Yeah. He's like a puppy. He reminds me of a Springer Spaniel. (laughs) Is it because of the curly hair? Because that was very specific of me on the spot. (laughs) Oh, so sorry, Brian. It's the curly hair. (laughs) So... That's how Backstreet got formed. I'll jump real quick to let you know how NSYNC happened. NSYNC was similar. Justin brought in JC, then Chris and Jewy. No, Jewy. <laughs> I'm going to restart this whole paragraph real quick. I was trying to say Joey knew. <laughs> NSYNC happened the same way. Justin brought in JC. Chris and Joey knew each other because they worked at Universal together. Then Justin's parents actually asked Lance. Lance knew Justin from the Mickey Mouse Club. So he said that seemed promising and they all got together in a room and they actually weren't in the area where Lou was. So they were actually flown out to Lou and they did a performance song, kind of like a little mini audition. And he was like, yes, banned a plus. (laughs) Yes, banned. You got it. But NSYNC did not know about Backstreet Boys and Backstreet Boys did not know about NSYNC really. At this point, well, NSYNC knew that Backstreet Boys existed because they were kind of already starting to hit that slow fame of like it happening. But Backstreet Boys had zero idea that NSYNC was even formed. Hmm. Which I'll I'll come back to that in a second. Lou knew what he was doing picking these younger boys. He also tried to target easy males that like had a lack of a father figure in their life. 
he tried to pick people that had like a prominent mother figure, but not a dad figure because he wanted to fill that role and be like, I'm like your, your papa. I'm, I'm Papa Lou. You know, I love you. That kind of sounds like a mob guy. I don't mean it like that. I mean, more like a fat, jovial, loving uncle, dad creature. <laughs> <laughs> I just really You're not wrong. <laughs> I just didn't. OK, got to tell you something. It's my <laughs> least favorite thing I've ever heard ever in a documentary. When they're describing Lou, someone describes him and they said, you know, he's this chubby, happy, fleshy kind of guy. <laughs> nope. I said, he's a fucking what? I don't like that. <laughs> fleshy? <laughs> he is fleshy, though. When you look at him, that sentence makes sense. But I never wanted to hear someone described as fleshy in my whole life. <laughs> I don't know what he looks like, so I'll have to look him up. Very fleshy. <laughs> okay. There's a lot of flesh covering his body. <laughs> I he, hope so. He has almost all of it, probably. <laughs> Maybe even more. <laughs> so to give an example, Kevin from Backstreet Boys, he actually had lost his dad to cancer. Not that not super long before all this. So he really looked up to Lou. Lou would have uh, the guys in the band call him Big Papa or Papa Lou. So that he, you know, seemed like a family like member. when you call me Big, Big Papa. Papa. <laughs> it's not even, we said we were going to sing. Like when you call me Big Papa. That's not the song. I don't I'm even gonna... know the song. It's. I can see the music Isn't video that in my head. Yeah, I can see it in, I see, can see the music video in my head. What the fuck song is that though? I like it. Hmm. It's all I can remember at this point. I feel like it's in 10 Things I Hate About You. Maybe. I love that movie. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> we talked about it earlier in the episode. If you're from the 90s, you know exactly what I'm saying when I say this, but you were a Backstreet Boys fan or you were an NSYNC fan. Like you weren't both. You could be a fan of both, but you were a number one fan of one or the other. It's the same concept as were you a Christina or were you a Britney? Were you a. Oh, I was definitely both for that. <laughs> Kylie's, you're ruining my point here. <laughs> I mean, I was a Backstreet Boys fan. More than NSYNC. Okay. I think I was. So I, every other album, I varied between Britney and Christina, I will say. But yeah. if I had to delete one of them from existence, I think I would delete Christina. Because okay, Britney has. No, no, no. Hold on. Because Britney has more more songs that I feel like other people couldn't do but Christina has songs that I feel like other people could have done them and I still would have liked them the same I crossroads I know yes also. okay so I agree with that but then I also think that Christina is better at like acting and being more of like a figure versus Britney is good at just singing true I will say Christina had some killer outfits and choreography also. This is not an episode about Britney or Christina. We nope. should be doing this about Backstreet Boys and NSYNC. Nope. But um, yeah, I. Hmm. I love Burlesque. I, also, would Lady Marmalade be the same song without Christina? No, no. They put like fucking Mariah Carey or some stupid ass shit in that song. <laughs> She's the only one that has those pipes. Oh, I don't think anymore, but well, no, but back then yeah. she was still Paul Abdul had those pipes back then and she was still kind of hot back then. Yeah. OK, so I'm very sorry, guys, but you got to start it on a 90s episode. 
People were like, I thought this was a true crime podcast. Passion. And now they're fucking talking about Britney Spears for 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a rivalry, but what happens behind the scenes makes it really weird to think that these two bands were rivals because they were ran by the same company and the same dude. So originally, and that's the thing I never knew. I never knew that until I grew up. I didn't know that until just now. I assumed that these were two actual rival bands. Yes. No, they were like created to potentially be like to be rivals on purpose. But like also like two um, recording studios like. Yeah, two rivalry studios. Literally like rivalries in the sense of the word in every aspect. Yeah, but not. Yeah, this is not what I thought it was. Okay, So. Like I said, that Backstreet didn't know that NSYNC was aware. I mean, was around at this time and they weren't aware of it. In all accounting logs, date books, anything Lou had, he would just write B5. And that was it. So Backstreet Boys didn't know that B5 was going to become NSYNC and that it was like this new hot upcoming band. Because also, if I was in Backstreet and I saw B5, I w- might even think that's us. Like, I would think we're I thought that five was- guys were Backstreet Boys. Yeah, I thought that was Backstreet Boys. So they didn't know what B5 was and NSYNC just knew that Backstreet Boys exist, but he, they didn't know it was from the same company either, really. So NSYNC was originally struggling and not doing well. They almost weren't even going to become famous, which is so wild to think of that NSYNC might have not existed, especially because Backstreet Boys was doing so well. But there is this one video that later became viral of NSYNC and the boys are in like a van bus thing and they're pretending that fans are chasing them down the streets and the fans are like their friends and i i can't remember someone's mom's in it like lance's mom or justin's mom and justin has his original accent and he's like hey yo those fans be chasing bus mom you see those fans I need to watch this right it's, now. It's so good. What? Justin's original voice is so bad. I didn't bad. know that. Yeah, he had a really bad country accent. Where is he from? Country. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have no idea, but he has an accent for sure. Well, so this video like showcased how the boys were super adorable, playful. It showed their quirky, funny sides, everything else. And so when people saw this, at first they thought it was like just another boy band, whatever, you know, at least that's kind of cool. But then people saw how talented they were because the Disney special. Mm. And that's what really started their career. Leave it to Disney. Honestly, if this Disney special didn't happen, NSYNC would have never became a true band. But I will get to that. So Lou marketed the bands to be different. He had Backstreet Boys be these like darker more bad boys and they played more dramatic songs slower songs things like that they would wear darker clothes which it's funny because in my mind the thing opposite for me yeah i always think of millennium which they're all wearing white on a baby blue background yeah but if you do look at anything before millennium they really did wear a lot of like cut off muscle tees they wore a lot of darker themed clothes and in their music videos they had a lot of darker millennium is what changed them in sync was supposed to be the opposite as Backstreet Boys. They were like the boys next door vibe. They all would wear jerseys. They would wear light denim, light colors. They had more pop music. And so they had more of that like the boys next door feel, you know. They were the boys that you would see just at your school. You didn't know they were there the whole time when Backstreet would be the boys behind the school being rowdy. So it's like pick which style you like, you know. 
Again, a marketing ploy. Again, a rivalry ploy, though. (laughs) So what ended up happening with this whole Disney Channel thing? Disney Channel had approached Backstreet Boys and asked them to do a special. They said, you know, will you be on the network? Will you do this mini concert deal thing? But the boys had just gotten done with a tour. They were super overworked. They genuinely felt like they needed a break. They had been working 18 hour days every single day for months on ends with no breaks, no vacations, anything. So they were like, we we just physically can't. They ended up turning it down. But little did anyone know them turning this down would change the fates of everything. Because at this point, Lou suggested, hey, Disney, I got another band for you. Uh, why, don't, why don't you just uh, just use this band I heard of? I don't know. In sync or something, whatever, you know. And NSYNC instantly became the most famous band, like, of time at that point. Disney aired the special every single day for over a month, and NSYNC's sales went from $5,000 a month to over $50,000 a month, all because of this Disney Channel special. NSYNC was gaining so much traction so fast that Lou's plan to, like, make the boys hate each other was in full swing because now he was lying to both bands. He was hiding things from them and he was making them think that like, oh, you know, NSYNC's just trying to take the fame away from you. Oh, Backstreet, you know that NSYNC did that just to drive you nuts. And then you'd be like, oh, NSYNC, you know, Backstreet hates you for taking that Disney Channel special away from them. But did they know that Lou owned both of them? No. Okay. So Lou explained it and to people outside the band like this. When there's Coke, there's Pepsi. Competition is what sells. So let's use it to our advantage and just not tell the boys. I get it. I really do. Mm -hmm. But Coke and Pepsi are owned by different companies. The main thing, when there's Doritos, there's Lay's. Yeah, no, we get the concept, Lou. We're not stupid. Um, You're a fucking piece of shit, though, for lying. This was really hard on the Backstreet Boys because they had been working so hard for months and years at this point, giving it their all just to say no to this one special and now having such a giant competition with a super big competitor that was a super similar band just to find out the manager managing that band was their own manager. I'd be pissed. I would be so mad. Like, how do you even feel? You don't know what to do at that point. Find a new manager real quick. So it was super disrespectful for the guys and they were just pissed off at this point but lou said it he said there's gonna eventually be someone that's gonna compete for the limelight from backstreet boys so why don't i just create the competition myself and be in charge of both of them because then when one loses he still wins yep he literally saw these humans as dollar signs you guys i'm not kidding so record sales were going through the roof for both boys but the boys in nsync didn't have time off now They were starting to live the same life Backstreet was. NSYNC had constant promotions, photo shoots, or practices. Each boy was... I'm going to kind of talk more about NSYNC because we have more information on them, by the way. So from now on, when I keep saying, like, the band, them, him, unless I clarify it's Backstreet, just know I'm talking about NSYNC. The boys in the band were each given a 35-day allowance, $35 a day, Which kind of sounds like a lot, especially in the 90s. But if you think about it, how much they're making only $35 a day for your food, drinks, everything. Yeah, it's not very much. Not that much, especially if you're living your life on tour. Yeah. That's not a lot at all. 
But Lou was doing something super grateful for the boys. He would pay out of pocket for the boys' food, their housing, their vehicles, their plane trips, restaurants, anything they wanted. He was just, he was sugar daddy, big papa Lou, big daddy or whatever he called himself. Lou took NSYNC to this amazing restaurant. Everyone knows it. It's called Lowry's Restaurant. You don't know you know it, but you know it because Lowry's seasoned salt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's how you know it. Lowry's the restaurant. I like knew it, but didn't know it, you know? <laughs> yeah. I was like, wait, how do I know that? Oh. Yeah. yeah. I heard someone else mention Lowry's season salt one time and I was like, oh shit, that's how I know what Lowry's is. Yeah. The fucking salt. So Lou took in sync to this restaurant. It was supposed to be a congratulations dinner after they had a New York concert and Lou was going to give all the boys their first big check. This check was symbolizing that they sold over 10 million records. So this dinner would include the boys in the band, their family, and Lou. And Lou said, I'll foot the bill. Don't worry, it's all me. I got you. Everyone that was sitting at the table was like, even the parents were like trying to do the math in their head. Because they were like, okay, 10 million records. You know, back then CDs were anywhere from 10 to $20. I remember thinking it was so expensive when a CD was $19.99. And like, oh my gosh, yes. And you'd be like, mom, please. And she's like, well, if you can find one that's $9.99. I'm like, oh, mom. Please. Yeah, it'll be $9.99 in a year. I need it now. That was the one good thing about the now CDs, though, was you got all the best tracks from everything for the $20 instead of like having multiple things for $20. Yeah. It was easy to con your parents into buying now. (laughs) Just for that reason. Definitely into the now music for sure. I yeah, that was a changing point in our lives as kids. (laughs) Well, so everyone was doing this math, right? Because if you sold that many CDs, they were like, okay, each person's getting at least like $200,000 or so, like at least, you know, minimum. And they knew that the band was raking in 10 million copies. So they they knew that going into this. So each person, you know, got an envelope at the table and everyone opened it. And the check was for $10,000. So total $50,000 for this whole band after over 10 million records. The boys and the parents knew something did not add up here because they saw how much they were selling. They saw how hard they were working and they're like, yeah, no, this is fucked up. They were super upset because they realized something was wrong. This wouldn't even equal out to minimum wage back then. Because a restaurant like a server worker working in a restaurant's minimum wage at that time would make about twenty four thousand dollars. And these boys made ten thousand. As famous people like, yeah, no, something's off real pissed off. And again, like they were kind of stoked because they're like, oh, fuck, yeah, $10,000. But wait, I did so much work for 10000 Like they weren't yeah. they weren't being greedy in a sense, but they knew that something was off. So they were expecting something huge. And then they opened this check and they were bummed. But since none of the boys had ever worked in this in this industry before, they were unsure if they were like. Maybe it was like a two part check, maybe you get another one later or like what was happening, you know, so. The boys in in sync, they signed the papers at dinner, they signed their checks, they called it a day. But when they got back to the hotel, JC, his uncle was a lawyer. And in the documentary, he's like, I didn't have fucking money to hire a lawyer. I called my uncle up. No way. What? (laughs) You guys, we got paid $10,000. You think I have money to spend on a lawyer? No. Well, he called his lawyer uncle and he's like, you know, we need some legal help. Can you look over the contract, figure out what's happening? Lance said when he saw the check and they got back to the hotel room, he was so pissed that he just ripped up the check. He said he was so pissed. Wow. 
Yeah. So like you can tell these these boys are high emotions at this point. That's how hard they've been overworked just to receive this. So the lawyer uncle looks it over and he advised them they have to get out of this contract ASAP because they're getting screwed the hell over. He said out of all the things he's ever seen, he told the whole band this is the worst contract he had ever seen. And it was sections upon sections of hidden rules and things that made the whole contract like a literal red flag. They highlight some of the red things and literally every other sentence was just red, 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 every page, red, red, red. So one big thing in the contract was it stated that both Backstreet Boys and NSYNC had six members in the band, not five. It had six because the sixth member is Lou. He's part of the band. Hmm. So he deserves a sixth of all the earnings and he deserves the same thing. He deserves what the band should be making and stuff. Because he's an equal part of this band and he's a member of it. So he was gaining all the benefits that the band should have been getting. But then he also told the boys that this was partially the same thing as having a manager fee. Because he said, you know, if I'm a sixth member, you don't even have to worry about a manager fee or a producer fee, producer fee, any of that kind of stuff, because you don't have to pay me. I'm just going to take my manager's cut, that one sixth fee. So he sold the boys on the idea of being the sixth member thinking that it would be way cheaper and they would make more money. I can see that. But no, he was taking his one six and then a lot more. Right. So Lou also told them that they had startup debt. And that's when the lawyers told the boys about something called the recoupable fund. I had never heard that before. But it ex- essentially explained it like this. Lou said, when you became famous, when all this started up, you know, you didn't. It's kind of like a. Uh, MLM is how it reminded me of like you pay money to get money in a sense. And that's what he's trying to tell them. But he said, you know, when I started with you guys, you have to pay me back all that initial debt that you acquired when we started the band, you know, the startup fees, the production fees, promotion, the choreographers, all that kind of stuff. So this initial $10,000. Yeah, yeah, it's small. But each time you get a check, it's going to be bigger because you're slowly paying back your startup fees. So that's why your paycheck's so small. But that's not at all what was happening. All these lavish gifts, the dinners, the events, all these things that Lou was always paying for with the boys, all these bills he was footing and stuff. That was the boys money. He was essentially using their own money to give them stuff. But then when they would ask for their money, he's like, oh, you don't have money. What? What do you mean? Huh? Very shady. Very shady. But he also presented that as his own money and he acted like he was wealthy. Because remember, he he wasn't wealthy. The only money he had, he had from this blimp fiasco and he probably spent most of it at this point. So he was using the boys cash to pretend that he had cash. So he was taking what they were making. He was spending it on them, but keeping the rest. So it made him not only look generous, but wealthy. So he was wealthy and a generous dude at this he point. He was like wealthy, but stealing from them their money yeah and fleshy (laughs) (laughs) so nsync found this out and they were pissed but they had a planned charity the next day and they were supposed to go and attend it attend it sorry the event was a basketball game and it was in the hotel and they were supposed to raise money for whatever charity they were doing but the interesting thing about this event which lou fucked himself over It had mixed the boy bands, so he really should have avoided doing that, especially after the bombshell was dropped the day before. 
But in attendance at this charity was Nick Carter and Brian Luttrell from Backstreet Boys and Justin Timberlake and J.C. Chazez. 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 I'm pretty sure. Chazez. I fuck it up every time. I've heard it three times today at least and I still can't do it. I'm sorry. I think it's Chazez. Is it? I thought it was the easy was different though. I even wrote look up the pronunciation. Chazez. Because I swear when they said the lawyer name, they called him Lawyer Chaze. I don't know. Y'all know who the fuck JT and JC are. Come (laughs) on. (laughs) I don't need to fucking correct myself to you guys. So the thing is, is it had some boys from Backstreet and some boys from NSYNC. Well, you just fucked over NSYNC. You really think it's a good idea to put them in the same room with BSB? It's not. Okay. So when the game was done, the boys were like, hey, can we go out to McDonald's to grab some food? Typical boys. Well, JC and Justin, they decide to let the chips fall where they may. That's a line from She's the Man when when they're in the bathroom and she left fall where they may. And she, she does the hand thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> With this new info, Brian and Nick are they're pissed now because they just found out what NSYNC told them. They get back and they tell Backstreet Boys everything. Brian takes charge and he's like, you guys, we have to sue Lou for everything he's doing. Fuck him. So all this was coming to the light. And instead of being sorry, Lou starts gaslighting the boys. He's like, you guys should be thankful for what I did. to you. Like, I've done everything. Why are you upset? Like, I helped you. I made you. I created you. And Lou was no longer being friendly. He was cold and heartless. I think it was Lance. He said at this point, he never saw Lou smile again. Never again. Not in the courts, not in anything. He was just being fake the whole time. Mm-hmm. So Lou started trying to rip the things out from the boys and scare them into staying in Lou's good graces. He even threatened to sue them for the right to the name Backstreet Boys and the right to the name Sync, saying he'll strip them of that even. He said that he made the boys' careers and... He started them from scratch and that he can end their careers and they will lose everything. So the managers and people started warning the boys. They're like, are you sure you want to go through with this? Because you might lose everything. This might be the end. Like they didn't know about it. And then when they found out, they were like, you know, he's gotten away with it this long. This might not be the best idea. But when I heard all this, I was just like, how the fuck did they not ever notice that he wasn't like something shady? Like, how did they not see that he was a dick? Yeah. But it's because Lou is super great at manipulation and the things he did to these young boys really helped hide like his true intentions. So Lou essentially love bombed them. Which is like a true crime term. Do you, do you know what love bombing is? Mm-hmm. OK, it's not just a true crime term, but a lot of people in true crime hear it because that's what a lot of psychopathic people do before they murder you or something. I didn't even realize like. Boy band con is also like um, the Pussycat Dolls, like the movie. Literally, I actually talk about Josie and the Pussycats later in this. Okay, I genuinely <laughs> have a part where I, I bring it up, which but is like, so weird funny. because like you grew up, like we grew up watching the, we grew up watching these bands, and then we grew up watching Pussycat Dolls, and we thought the Pussycat Dolls was wild. Yeah, which it's also funny that you said that because uh, Margie has never seen it, and I was making her listen to Du Jour last week. And I was like, I have it on DVD. We'll watch it this weekend. <laughs> so I think this weekend we're going to watch Josie and the Pussycats. Like the original or like the... The Rachel Lee Cook and Tara Reed in them. 
the one from like our childhood like 1999 2000-ish it's a disney i think it's not a disney they definitely have curse words in it and she's like at the concert and alan m like holds up the sign and he's like josie mccoy even though you don't feel the same way about me as i do about you and then he falls and she's like what did you mean about the you don't feel the same way about me as I do about you? And he's like, Josie McCoy, I love you. Okay. Yep. That's the same one. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I have that on my comfort list movies, by the way. Really? That is one of my all time. That's the only reason I learned how to play the bass. The like all of the songs I could perform like they could. Um, I have all of them <laughs> um, in my playlist. Nice. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. But seriously, they they go with like they. Yeah, I don't remember who the manager is, but they love bombed. Um, Seriously, love bombed them. Essentially, yes, that is the same concept. Lou had the boys quit their job. He pulled them from school. He gave them private tutors. And again, he was doing this all with their money. But they thought, you know, oh, my God, he let us quit our jobs. He's paying for us to go to school, blah, blah, blah. He told them they don't have to worry about a place to live. He would buy a place for the boys to live in and the band to stay in. It essentially was like this little boy band home. It looks awesome. <laughs> looks so cool. Like yeah. best TV show ever, please. Like big brother, but big band. But big band. <laughs> I guess that's essentially what like the show Jonas was and the big time rush show and stuff. Whoa. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Wow. Okay. But also this was a super big power move because it let him know what the boys were doing at all times, where they were, anything. It also made the boys have no choice but to become literally like brothers because their whole lives revolved around each other. They worked together. They lived together. None of them had school. None of them had jobs. Like these guys were together every single day. And that's why another reason I think boy bands back then worked so well is because it was authentic. And there wasn't social media to add the extra drama or anything. The only drama would come from y'all being in the house together. So you also have to solve it. Well, and they were also like doing their jobs 24-7. Yeah, but like, I mean, it's kind of like when your siblings growing up, you and your siblings, if you get in a fight, you have to fucking solve it at some point because you all still live under the same roof. Like I lived in a house, three girls. Well, and my mom, four girls, y'all. When we had a problem, we had a fucking problem. (laughs) But then we all have to solve it because we all still have to stay under that roof the next day. And like, it's essentially like a very intense band. (laughs) It was it was intense. And I feel like the boy band concept is the same thing. Putting all these kids in this house and stuff. It was very chaotic, I'm sure, too. Oh, I feel like this house just smells like sweaty feet also. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. And there's like Dorito bags everywhere. Yeah. Ugh. But they were super fit. So maybe not. I don't know. Doritos and like apples. avocado. Mm, probably were apples. avocados invented back then? Nah, those were invented by Instagram. That's a joke. That was a joke. <laughs> Laugh, please. <laughs> you know, sometimes I don't know. What were you? Pork. Oh, pork and beef. I didn't know the difference off the top of my head. Off the top of your head. I'm trying to make myself sound better here. The whole fucking different animal. <laughs> They're both cute. So I'm moving on from that. I'm getting roasted. Oh, like a pork. That's not it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to move on. So Lou would start working with the boys. He would have them get a choreographer, right? But it was like super intense. 
he would have them practice in that airplane hangar that he had, which is in Orlando. Super fucking hot. There was no air. The boys said it was so hot in these buildings that it was literally like a boot camp and they called it a boot camp. They would rehearse for six to eight hours a day in this. I would never that no. Which then they still had to go to their vocal lessons and they still mm-hmm. had to come home to the tutors and stuff. So these boys were working fucking hard. It was a lot of work to be in a boy band back then. And if you think about it, I'm not trying to like I get it. I'm old now, so I'm not trying to sexualize these boys by how I'm talking about them. But like, yo, these boys were fit for young kids like they had bodies. But that was part of Lou's ploy. He wanted them to have yeah. that in a sense, more sexual appeal yeah. to bring in more fans. Yeah, yeah, literally what you're saying. Lou also had things called boy band parties, which is exactly what it sounds like. Lou would have the boys bring all their friends over for a lavish party. And there's pictures of these and Lou's always in the middle. And it doesn't make sense. It looks like he's like photoshopped in in a bad way. Because imagine (laughs) this like fat, big, older guy that's like in his 40s to 50s. And he's old and he's just sitting in the middle pool. And then there's like 20 boys that are like 17 years old, super fit, super tan, just like hanging on to him. I'm looking him up. I can't do it anymore. <laughs> the disappointment that of Kylie's face now that she's looked up Lou Pearlman is unreal, guys. Should have waited till the end. <laughs> so okay. Lou's home was essentially set up to lure young, younger aged people in. Ashley from O-Town calls it Disneyland even. And by the way, Ashley Parker Angel is even more like mature and beautiful and handsome now as an adult he grew into being a human he is a great being looking a human <laughs> so the house was this all white and baby blue mansion it just looked like super inviting and beautiful it looked like something baby spice would have loved to own the house had a giant pool it had a private movie theater in it they had wave runners they had speedboats they had mini fridges that looked like the little coca-cola brand ones but Okay, tell me this isn't weird. He would put apple juice, Yoohoo, and like kids' pouch drinks in it, which, like, again, those are like very kid like themed things that I feel like you would. I can fuck up some Yoohoo though. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, but the thing that I'm getting at is what it reminds me of and what other people have made comment of is it's eerily similar to Michael Jackson's home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. do you mm-hmm. see what i'm saying now now yeah. that you hear it no i definitely when you said that they called it disneyland even it was set up to lure younger age people like that's very like yeah a little cringy so lou had a stretch limo with a driver that he would let the kids ride in all the time he'd let them stick their heads out you know whatever they wanted lou had a baby blue rolls royce that he would let the underage kids drive to let them feel special you just let them take it for a spin. Oh, yeah. Yeah, safe. <laughs> That's not even an expensive car. If they got hurt, do you know how fucking pissed he would have been? Oh, yeah. He probably would have cared more about that than the car because he'd be like, well, that's insured. You motherfucker. You. Well, they were probably somewhat insured. Oh, well, in the but sense. they wouldn't have been able to perform is my thing. Yeah. Lou also gave really expensive gifts to love bomb them. He would buy them a $10,000 watch just because. I'm glad I knew what that sentence was since I did not put the words in the sentence. <laughs> um, I just wrote, he would buy you $10,000 just because. 
but I knew it was a watch. <laughs> he took them on wild, expensive family dinners. He would buy them anything and everything they wanted. He'd pay for the vocal essence choreographer. I know I'm repeating this, but it's kind of because it, it needs to sink in where this money is going and coming from. Is it in sinking? <laughs> no, it's Backstreet Boying. <laughs> I thought you'd like that. <laughs> the kids in the bands all said that Lou was super relatable because he would just act like a big kid himself. He was charming. He was good with words. He always would ask questions. He really wanted to be a part of your life. So this is exactly the opposite of the Lou that we just heard about that like Lance and them describe as what happened after they found out. So he flipped like a switch. He's a narcissist. He got caught. He flipped it off. So going back into how he is nowadays being cold and everything. Well, this just drove NSYNC and Backstreet Boys to want even more to get out of the contract. And that's what you suggested, Kylie, is the boys should just get out of the contract, right? Well, okay, they tried. And this contract was like iron clad. Lou purposely made this contract super difficult, but then NSYNC's lawyer found a tiny little stipulation in the contract. And it's really difficult how it's worded, but the basic idea of it is if the band was not signed to an American label within a certain time period, the whole contract's void. So um, there's no wiggle room anywhere but then that. So with this new knowledge, NSYNC signed to a German label. They're like, bye, <laughs> bye. Well, this pissed the fuck out of Lou. Oh, because, I wonder why. <laughs> no idea. Because he realized they were trying to slowly void out the contract. So in October of 1999, Lou sued NSYNC for $150 million and the name NSYNC. Because he said he's NSYNC. <laughs> it was so funny, though, because the judge literally looks at him and is like, um, so uh, Lou, Lou Perlman, right? You're Lou. And he's like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, so you you said you deserve the word in sync because you you're the band in sync, right? Right, Lou, you're in sync. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm in sync. And he goes, all right. So my daughter has a poster of in sync on her wall. Those five boys standing there, those those boys are in that poster with the word in sync on it. You, my sir, are not in that poster. <laughs> like <laughs> you are not in sync. <laughs> so the judge ended up siding with in sync and they got out of the contract. Mm, I don't know how or why they don't explain it super well in the documentary. And I tried searching. It was a little difficult, but overall, I learned Backstreet Boys had some sort of a different outcome. It looked like it was because of different lawyers. They still got to terminate the contract, but they did have to pay the one sixth deal with Lou before the contract was ended. That sucks. That sucks. But hey, you're still out. Yeah. OK, I have to bring this up because it's fucking wild. Lou's lawyer is Cheney Mason. Now, who's Cheney Mason, you wonder? Mm -hmm. Who the fuck is Cheney Mason? Mm. Okay, so he represents Lou in Backstreet Boys versus Lou and in in Sync versus Lou. He also represents Lou and Transcontinental, the company like Transcon. Also, Cheney Mason's the co-counsel of Casey Anthony. Oh, he is a shady little mother hecker. And he's just a piece of shit. I hate him. Okay. Well, he says this is one of the things he said during court. Losing the clear because he spent all that time and money training these boys, preparing them, doing everything. So all that money Lou was just entitled to. So he was just taking what he earned. So do you like Cheney Mason? <laughs> like, okay. But like, 
How do you feel about him? You have to pay the boys, too. Oh, he did. $10,000. Yeah. It's okay. Cheney Mason will come back for revenge. There's one thing. I don't like Cheney Mason, but he does something kind of funny. He kind of gets back. Okay. (laughs) So the new freedom from winning their court dates inspired NSYNC's newest album, No Strings Attached. A banger of an album. Literally. Bye, 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 bye. (laughs) That's so funny because I did not know there was like a... I so the boys were in London. They were mm-hmm. promoting new music. They were in the car. Chris Kirkpatrick makes a joke and he's like, I don't even care what the new album's called, you know? Like, I just feel so glad, like, we're making a new one. I got no strings on me anymore. In reference to Lou being like, you know, in charge of them. And then Lance is like, Yeah, we're like no strings attached. And everyone was like, Oh my That's fucking it. God. <laughs> That's it. At the time, because you know, fans want to know everything that's happening in, you know, their lives. Everyone was like, oh, my God, these these songs are about old exes, old lovers, old love interests, things like that. That's what the theme is, everything. But really, it was just they were so free to be. They were so excited to be free of Lou and his grubby little hands. So they're like, no strings attached. And then that is why in the album and the music videos, they're those marionette dolls. And they're like getting off. Because they're the puppets. They were the puppets in Lou's schemes. Yes. And that's the, the whole concept of the song. Bye, bye, bye. Is they are saying like. Farewell, fuck you, motherfucker, to Lou on this new album. That's awesome. Isn't that like, it just makes you love the album even more. Yes. So good. Even more than if it was about a their love interest. Yeah. Yeah. Good thing it's not about Britney Spears. We saved ourselves there, guys. So Lou decided he needed another band. Holy shit. I have to say something about Justin Timberlake. Do you remember that one song? I don't feel like it's Cry Me a River, but I can't remember what song it is. But it was when him and Britney broke up and he made a music video and he cast a girl that literally looks exactly like fucking Britney Spears in it. And then he made her wear the exact same outfit that Britney Spears wore, like to the Grammys or something a week before. And then when Britney Spears tried to sue him, he's like, no, that girl's name's Ashley. It's not Britney. She's not you. (laughs) He's like, why do you think that's you, Britney? You're being really, really self-centered if you think that's you. And Britney's like, it's fucking me. (laughs) Like it's obvious. I remember. I vaguely remember the music video, but I I think she cheated on him, maybe. And so in the music video, yeah, I want to real quick find out. I'm so sorry. I don't remember him suing or her suing him. It was like people talked about it happening. I don't know if it actually went anywhere, but everyone was like, "Oh my god, Britney is gonna do it." It is the Crimea River song. I was right because uh, supposedly, like, she cheats on him and stuff. Yeah. Hmm. 2002. Crazy. What okay. a world. What a, what a world we lived in. <laughs> Wild. If I you don't even feel like I was alive. When I look at pictures of like some of the fashion and stuff, I'm like, no fucking way. We didn't. Oh, no, we did. We did that. Oh, yeah. Questionable, but we did it. 100% did. <laughs> so with this all happening, Lou lost his two main money sources, right? So instead of being like, hey, I should chill, I should, you know, throw in the towel, maybe just go watch some blimps, do something else. He's like, you know what I should do? Make another band. (laughs) Sounds like the perfect idea. So he went for something new. He did a girl group called Innocence. I listened. I feel like I know them. So then he tried a Latin pop group called C-Note. They uh, the girl from Innocence and the guy from C-Note, like the main people are in the documentary, by the way. 
Then he did the band Take Five. I've never heard of those. What? Should I have? Yeah, I think so. Are you thinking of the Click Five? No. You're thinking of Take Five. Maybe. <laughs> I might be thinking of Click Five. Okay. Because Click Five is way different than Take Five. No, I have to know. I think the Click Five is just the girl I'm looking for. Uh-huh. How do I know Take Five? Corey knows Take Five. Really? I bet you he's screaming in his skin right now. But then Lou did get one pretty decent band out of all this. LFO, which is that song I was singing earlier. The I like girls that wear Amercrombie and Fitch. I do like that song. Which, side note, guys, speaking of Amercrombie and Fitch, the new White Hot, it's a documentary about Amercrombie and Fitch. And that song's featured in it, obviously, a lot. The whole playlist for that fucking documentary, because it's based in the 90s, fire. But overall, <laughs> that documentary is wild. You should watch it. Well, Lou Pearlman is the creator of LFO. The same guy that did Backstreet and NSYNC. That makes me upset. And they did great, but they were no Backstreet Boys or NSYNC. That was the issue. So Lou didn't love them the same. They were like the stepchild. The redheaded stepchild. <laughs> I was going to say that, yeah. <laughs> so Lou almost was about to throw in the towel, but he hit the jackpot. He decided to do a solo artist. You may have heard of him. His name is... Aaron Carter. I don't understand that. How is that? How is that allowed? Okay. So Aaron Carter actually opened up for Backstreet Boys one time in Berlin and they were like cool with it or whatever. And Aaron was trying to get his footing in the door during all this. But then he Lou wasn't really going to take him on as a full client. But then around the time that Lou did take him on was when Backstreet Boys started suing. So he was already signed. Okay, because I was like, is how it's essentially explained. How is he okay with it? But you'll also learn as I go on in this, Nick and Aaron feel very, very differently about Lou. Nick hates Lou in in a sense, like Backstreet and NSYNC. They don't truly hate Lou, but they all don't like him. It's a very weird feeling they all have because they did have so much respect for him for a long time. Yes. Yeah. Aaron is Lou's number one fan. Aaron thinks Lou was a blessing and is and always will be still still to this day he gets very upset during the documentary the whole time when people say anything bad about lou like i'm talking like he rips his mic off and starts yelling at the camera and he's like i need to turn the camera off i need to turn i'm I'm, I'm done i'm done i don't know how you guys could even say something like that about him wow which i'll get more into that okay interesting so by the fall of 1997 aaron released his first single crush on you Aaron had sold 5 million records before being 10 years old. I... What? I loved him. And you think about that time period, and it's so weird because these boy bands are flourishing, and everyone listened to boy bands. Like, at all ages, all groups, same with these young artists. Lil Bow Wow, Aaron Carter, and stuff like that. And they were young 9 or 10-year-old boys. What was happening in the 90s where we were all so horny for very young boys? I'm very fucking confused. I loved him. <laughs> what was your favorite Aaron Carter song? Mine is mm. How I Beat Shaq. And that's How I Beat Shaq. That would be yours. <laughs> I, really, I like the music video too. Because then he would like wake up and he's like, oh, it was just a dream. But how did I get this jersey with the name O'Neal? O'Neal, O'Neal. Oh Don't gosh. say Aaron's party. Don't do it. 
Do you remember that episode of Lizzie McGuire where Aaron Carter's on it? Yes. So I talk about this episode a lot and people always think that I'm making it up. I am not. What? If you remember, yes, this Lizzie McGuire episode, this specific one. Now, the Aaron Carter episode with Lizzie McGuire, Aaron Carter sings, and I feel like he sings I Want Candy, but I don't remember. But it's like a Christmas episode. Do you remember who plays Santa in the episode? Because I'll tell you. And people always think I'm making this up and that I have to be wrong. And everyone Googles it. I don't know. Steven Tyler from Aerosmith. Really? (laughs) Yes. I always think back about that and it feels like a fever dream. Steven Tyler. It was meant to be like a fever dream. (laughs) What the fuck? (laughs) Isn't that really weird? I love Lizzie McGuire. I love Steven Tyler. Well, yeah. (laughs) But seriously, though. It's all on Disney Plus. I know that. Okay, guys, we're sorry. This is just such a fun episode. Like, well, it's not, but it is. It is. It really is. I'm learning so many things about my childhood I didn't know. <laughs> like these repressed memories are coming back also. Yes. So by the late 90s to 2000s, the boy band craze actually started dying out. The music scene started transitioning into more solo pop singers and not bands. But Lou was not ready to give up on the idea of boy bands. So he had this like new idea where he was just going to flood the market with them. But in starting that, he wanted to create a TV show. So with ABC and MTV, he signed on a new show called Making the Band. Do you remember Making the Band? Yes, I fucking do. Lou Pearlman created it. What the fucking weird, right? I did not know that. So it was a reality TV show that doubled as this like boy band thriving concept. So the show originally aired on March 24th, 2000. It ran all the way to October 10th, 2009. There were 12 seasons with over 140 episodes. It was a great concept for a show and it actually made like a really big following like it was created, mm-hmm. which as a side note, MTV announced on July 15th, 2019 that the series would be revived and they would redo it. But then COVID happened, so they postponed it to 2021, and then they never just did it, which is such a fucking bummer. I would have lived for it. Mm -hmm. Now, when I think of that show, I think of P. Diddy, though, because P. Mm -hmm. Diddy was the announcer guy. Yes. Okay, well, that makes sense why you think that, and I'll explain. So the show was a nationwide talent search where you would audition to be on the show. Kind of like American idol they would come to like eight big cities, they would ask all these people to audition. Then out of all those auditions, they would pick 25 young males and you would go to live in this house all together and then slowly you would start getting cut. But the cool thing was, is that you were getting to see these guys' personalities. You were getting to make choices, watching them, things like that. And the men were competing to become part of a five member boy band that in the end would get to sign to a record label, which would be ran by Lou Pearlman at Transcontinental Transcon Records. Eventually, when all this stuff started getting out about Lou, um, after like, I think it was only like season one or season two after that, they sold the rights to it and P. Diddy bought it and he became the face of the show and took it over. Hence why we all think of P. Diddy on that show. Oh, okay. Go P. Diddy, though. Yes. (laughs) Good job. (laughs) Because that was a good show. Okay, so the people in making the band all had known that Lou had just previously like right before this, less than a year before had been getting sued by all of his bands and that everyone hated him. But you also have to remember like LFO and people hadn't sued him yet. So like 
yeah, his two biggest bands sued him, but his other bands didn't. So that's already you're kind of like, uh, I'm like Aaron's kind of should I sue him? Should I not sue him? Yeah. Yeah. Well, people were kind of just hoping for the best also. So they were like, you know, maybe things were better. Maybe Lou was changing. But as Lou was getting power over the new bands, they noticed nothing had changed. And to give you an example of like how they first were conned by him to get the idea of like what they thought. One of the members of O-Town, which is a band I'm about to start talking about, Jacob Underwood, he had a quote that I wanted to read like so that you could see through their eyes how they felt about Lou. One of the first things they do is, welcome to Transcon. Here's our card. Here's all the companies we own. And you're looking at this card that folds, a business card that folds with like 40, 50 companies that he owns. Right away, you're like, whoa. I mean, I am in with somebody really important and this is a big deal. If he owns all these things, then he must really understand business and get it. Ashley Barker, Angel, and the guys in O-Town kind of talk about it. And they were like, yeah, you were just starstruck almost by Lou because you knew what he could do for you. So the first band to win the show was O-Town. Ashley Parker Angel, the one I keep talking about, is in O-Town. Um, he commented that they sold 10 million records. So again, we're hearing the same things. And again, they made less than someone who would have worked at a Starbucks at that time. Are you looking up how handsome Ashley Parker Angel is? Might have. <laughs> oh, he's so cute. I love him. I'm just really um, interested because... You said he really came into his humanhood. <laughs> He's just a beautiful soul. And hearing him like talk and stuff and like he is the same person he was back then. He's very happy and like a good person. So O-Town was originally managed by Lou Pearlman. They later actually switched managers, though. They did it a lot easier than the original bands did. And they switched to being managed by a man named Mike Cronin. So the debut album was Lou, but then after that and the remaining TV series that they were on, because remember, they did like a follow up series like season two or three on making the band where they came back and they talked about how life has been treating them. At that point, they were owned by Mike Cronin. So Mike Cronin is the brother of Rich Cronin. (laughs) Sounds like I'm naming a lot of names. It makes sense. Rich Cronin is the founder and lead singer of the pop boy band LFO that was owned by Lou. Kind of a conflict of interest, by the way. And a little bit. Um, Rich passed away and was replaced later. I don't remember who replaced him, but just so you know. So around this time, though, things got sketchy. Like as if they hadn't this whole episode already. But yeah, they've been a little sketchy. <laughs> there's some things going wrong, clearly, in the boy bands. Mike Cronin, the manager, had started making comments that it's rumored Lou might have a thing for young boys. Right. I, I say young boys. I should mention everyone's of age. So they're 18. They're still. But they are young boys. Legal. But again, Aaron Carter was not 18. No. Remember him. And he came to the boy man parties and said, OK, whatever. <laughs> so the O-Town boys, everyone gives their opinions on this situation. This is the first time they bring like everyone in the documentary talk. Because at first, you know, different people gave different inputs. But now, like, everyone gives an input. The O-Town boys remember Lou would walk into practice and instantly be like, oh, pop your shirt off, pop your shirt off. Let me see your abs. Let me look at your body. Let me look at how you're doing. They didn't think anything was wrong with this kind of because they were like, you know, that's how we make our money. Maybe he's checking if our moves are right. Maybe you never know what he's doing. Like, it's fine. Then handsome boy Lance, my man, 
my man lance was like i was a closeted gay i don't know i got the vibe lou was too like he came off really awkward like he didn't know how to present himself and stuff and how do you like figure out if someone's in the closet or how do you bring that up you know you you don't so you just leave it alone but i'm in the closet i feel like he is like i just get the vibe which is very interesting lance also said he remembers lou being extremely touchy-feely with the boys and that he would give them really long massages that were always just like off-putting. Lou would also go as far as to ask the boys to come back to his room for the massages, but supposedly no one ever took him up on the offer. Mm. Ashley Parker Angel talks about, very cringe, Ashley Parker Angel talks about how Lou would brag that he's a massage therapist so he can help the boys. He even goes as far to being like, I can target the right muscles to help your muscles work out just by massaging them. That doesn't exist. Um, He also made comments to each boy about how they were the star of the band. He would like go up to, you know, Ashley and he'd be like, you're the Justin Timberlake of the band. You're the diva. You don't need anyone else. You can take over the whole band and everyone would just love you. And this is what made me think Josie and the Pussycats. Instantly, I was like, because when they make Josie think that and then she's like, Melody, do you know what happens to dogs, to puppies? They grow old and they die. I'm the diva of this band. I don't is it's not called Valerie and the Pussycats. Like she got that mindset mm-hmm. and that's what he was doing. He was brainwashing them. If you guys haven't seen Josie and the Pussycats, you guys have no fucking clue what I'm talking about, but you should I watch need it. to go watch it. It's again. so good. The members that make up du jour just kill me, too, because it's Seth Green. Mm-hmm. It's that dude from Scrubs. And it's like that dude from all those 90s oh my movies. God, I forgot about the dude from Scrubs that was in there. And like, there's just a lot of famous people in that movie. Why can't I can't remember his name ever. I can't. I can't either. The other guy's the guy that did Garden State, and I can't think of his name either. Can't. No. Nope. Neither of them have names. They're just the dudes from Scrubs. That's what they are. They are Scrubs. They really are. <laughs> so. There's a part here in the documentary. This is like one of the big times, the first big time, I think maybe even where Aaron Carter starts to speak out. So everyone else is like pretty much hinting Lou's kind of kind of got some pedo vibes here, right? Obviously. Well, then Aaron gets on screen and he's like, why would you ever bring that up? Like, why would you even make comments that Lou's a pedophile? Are you are you kidding me? Why would you say that? No, no. He loved me. He was like a father to me. He taught me how to do diamond pushups. He helped me make this body into what it is. He he was nice. He looked out for me. Lou, Lou loved me. And he starts freaking the fuck out, like freaking out. All right. This is speculation. I would like to clarify. This is speculation. Speculation hour. To me, it seemed really defensive how he acted like someone that might be suppressing some feelings or things. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, if the only thing you have to say against this is, no, he helped me work out to get a really rockin' bod and you're 10 to 12 years old, that makes me uncomfortable that he's that concerned with what your body looks like at that age because he even makes comments that the only reason he cared about what these bodies looked like was so that they had more sex appeal. So why does a 10 year old need sex appeal Mm -hmm. if he's truly that talented and you care about him for his talent? Mm -hmm. I, again, this is all a hundred percent speculation, but I do get very bad vibes from how defensive Aaron gets in this whole video. And Aaron was the youngest one. And Aaron spent the most time alone with, he probably didn't even know what he was doing that too 
I mean, when you're young, you just like and you latch on to people and you don't realize you it. also don't understand the implications sometimes of what they're yes. saying and doing. If a, if your manager is just giving you a back rub to you, maybe you are thinking, OK, it's just back this rub. is a back rub. Yeah. But in the episode, one of the magazine editors is like, maybe that was Lou's way of touching them as much as they could without touching, touching them. them, getting that power of knowing that he's allowed to at least do that. All these girls want to touch him. Yes. Touch this famous person. And I get to just rub their backs. And, oh, yes. Yeah. Creepy. Exactly. Uh, we flip back to Ashley in the documentary. He starts talking about how Rich from LFO, which isn't the manager, that's that's the guy from LFO, remember? <laughs> he went on the Howard Stern show. He started talking about how Lou told LFO if they wanted to become as famous as the other boy bands, they need to take one for the team. And by doing that, they essentially need to do a favor for him if they want to get, get famous. They make, he said that Lou made sexual comments about how that's the only way they'll succeed and that they need to practice their sexual things. And, you know, if they need to practice these sexual things, they can use Lou as a practice dummy. But then Rich, like I listened to it, he essentially is like, yeah, Lou told me I need to suck his dick. Oh, shit. <laughs> but he was talking about sucking the dude's dick, like the the guy that he wants this interview with or whatever. So he's not essentially saying I no. need to suck Lou's dick. I you need to need suck to, this like, guy's dick. Suck up. No, no, no. Like actually suck his penis. <laughs> he says the word penis in it. I know, but like. But when, then he, when you use sex, for, like you're sucking up to that. Yes. Yeah. But then but then Lou says the thing. He's like, you can use me as practice. So essentially, yes, Lou is saying, hey, yo, will you suck my fucking dick? Mm-hmm. Then Lou mentions, well, Backstreet Boys did this. How do you think they got famous? Well, OK, OK, well, well, if you ask them, they won't say they did this. They hired someone to do this for them. So you're telling me Backstreet Boys, Mick Carter called someone up and said, hey, um. We really want this gig overseas, but uh, turns out if you want to be a boy band in Berlin, you have to suck the Berlin um, president's dick. Can I hire you with my $35 a day (laughs) to fly your ass over to Berlin, suck this man's dick so my band can play over there and then you can come you can come home. You're telling me that's what happened, Lou? Because I'm going to (laughs) say... I'm going to say that might be a lie. Because, <laughs> again, only getting $35 a day. Oh, maybe all five bo- boys pooled their $35. Maybe. And gave it to the dick sucky. Because <laughs> that's his title. The dick sucky. <laughs> this is the only thing that makes sense. Suckier. <laughs> when this all starts happening, other bands start just talking about everything they remember about Lou. Like, after, after Rich goes on Howard Stern, like, all the bands are like, Oh, well, I had an experience with Lou. Do you want to hear my experience? Like, I have a story. Nikki Delush, the girl from Innocence, she's the main girl. She said that she would go to Lou's home all the time. And since Lou loved them keeping up with appearances, he would have the girls tan at his house in a tanning bed. (sighs) Mm. Now, Lou had cameras everywhere in this house. Of course. Everywhere. So later the girls find out that they were being filmed in that room when they would get undressed and Lou would tell them to tan naked, which, you know, that's common, whatever. Mm -hmm. But Lou would record the girls getting naked, but Lou would never use this footage. That would be weird, right? No, no. He would take it to the boy bands and show them to try to impress them and bond with them. Which 
I'm sure probably excited the boys and then Lou got excitement from the boys being excited. It's it's a disgusting cycle, really. Okay. these weren't the only cameras, though. There were some in every single room, including the pool and in Lou's room and stuff. And everything was always on tape with Lou and the control room was in Lou's bedroom. Right. This is, again, a really passionate moment for Aaron Carter. They talk about this and Lou's uh, and Aaron's like, "Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. He filmed everything. Okay, show me the tapes. Yeah, no, you can't show him because they don't exist. Because Lou would never do that. Those cameras were real. What do you even mean? My mom, my mom tanned in that room. I tanned in that room. You think Lou would have done that to me? He wouldn't have. My mom would have checked that room and she would have said, hey, Aaron, there's a camera in here. Don't get naked. And I would have been like, okay, mom, I won't. And he starts like freaking out. And that's when he's like, I, I got to take the mic. I can't do this right now. I can't do it. Because he's so upset. Wow. Aaron's a whole vibe in this whole thing and it's not a good one. It's a bad vibe. But I loved him so much. Yeah? Have you seen him lately? No, I haven't actually. Oh, you don't like It's Always Sunny. I was going to compare him to Rickety Cricket. Um, hmm. Have you seen a homeless person that is covered in prison tattoos? That is essentially what you're looking at when you look at Aaron nowadays. Uh, sunken in like cheekbones and stuff looking kind of uh cracked out oh you saw the picture i can see it in your face you saw what he looks like that reaction told me everything i needed to know wow okay by the way nick carter looking beautiful him and his family gorgeous family he looks the same a little bit on the bigger side but the man really just stayed the same human being just in case you were wondering how your boy is I've Googled everyone after this. So as we're finding all this out in the documentary, we also find out that the girls from Innocence mentioned that Nikki originally wanted to refuse signing the sixth man contract that Lou was trying to use because he was still using it at this point. She did end up giving in, but her reasoning was because she said she noticed the contract had a secret confidentiality agreement in it. And Nikki was like, yeah, no, that's not cool. And when she mentioned that she was going to refuse to sign it, she started getting really eerie, vague threats from Lou. He was like, well, you know, um, just remember, like, uh, I, I have a life insurance policy on you in case I need it. You know, you if you're going to be in my one of my bands, you're going to travel a lot. You're going to be in my planes. You're going to be on my buses, my limos. And I took a life insurance on you. You know, just just guys. Very vague. I'm sorry, but anyone that's, that's creepy, anyone that takes life insurance out on someone else, I usually think the worst unless like they have like a family member. Well, I still nope. actually I think the worst then too. Mm-hmm. life insurance policies are a sign that you were about to get murdered. I'm going to warn you guys <laughs> <laughs> like only take one out on yourself. <laughs> so by 2003, Lou started expanding and Transcontinental Records was buying up other companies. See, the boy bands is only part of this, guys. So. We're kind of moving out of boy band territory and what other shady stuff Lou started doing. Because everyone thinks that the boy bands is Lou's biggest con. It actually wasn't. It was just the one that got him noticed. We haven't even gotten into the big con yet. The one that got away. (laughs) Essentially. (laughs) So as he started expanding Transcon, the record business and stuff, he started buying other companies. He ended up buying an internet RAM business called Options Talent. So Options was currently under review and investigation in the state of Florida for fraudulent activity and scams. 
Sounds perfect for him. If you're going to be a scam artist, why buy a company that's under review for scams? Like, you're so stupid, Lou. You're dumb. Well, probably because, like, he thought it would make him look better. Because like, oh, he I'm thought he was above it all. Look, yeah, I'm going to make this, like, look better. Like how serial killers do. Like they how, get two. Yeah. Yeah. Like Dr. Death. And Ted Bundy. Literally everyone. Everyone, yeah. They just get too proud like, of I'm themselves. Make the world it's the, the pride. Place. It's a pride and ego thing. There's a certain serial killer that I'm thinking of, and I can't remember his name, but I really wanted to use him in this moment as an example, but now I can't. Bordella. Bordella. You got it. Yeah. Okay. Anyone that knows the case, they understand what I'm talking about. But okay. So Option Talents was one of those talent agencies that would scout you out at the mall or wherever you were. And they'd be like, oh my gosh, you have the look. We're going to make you famous. Here's what you got to do. Come in, do a photo shoot. And then they would scam you and then be like, you have to pay for the photo shoot after they did it. And it would be either hundreds or thousands of dollars. And then they would be like, okay, so we're going to send these in to all of our talent agents and we'll give you a call when you get your next, um, you know, event. You'll be famous. But then they ghost you and you never hear from them again. So that doesn't work. Wow. What assholes. (laughs) So around this time, people were noticing some fraudulent things. Jacqueline Jackie Dowd. um, I'm going to call her Jackie. She was the former Florida assistant attorney general for the state. And she got put in charge of the Lou case because she was originally in charge of the options talent case. So it kind of just. He bought it. She got it assigned over. Jackie ended up getting contacted by Lou and he offered her a tour of some of his companies, which is wild that he reached out to her. But again, it's that ego thing. But to her, she's like, whoa, okay, well, all right, sure. Mm -hmm. While touring the office, Jackie talks about the weird, super eerie vibe she got because the whole time she was there, not a single person made eye contact with her, looked at her, spoke to her, even acknowledged the fact that she was in the building. Like, Every single person just stared at their desk, like dead stared at it, would answer phones, put it down, would type, stop, answer, put down. And she's like, it's almost like it's like fake. It's so weird. And it was a group of eight people touring the office and not a single person acted like anyone was there. Later, Jackie found out the entire thing was staged and Lou hired all those people to work there and pretend that it looked like a legit business. What? Like he hired dozens of employees actors yeah employees i would pay money to be a fake actor no to hear from them oh (laughs) i mean i just want to know like what did he say to you (laughs) because jackie dowd is kind of famous like you would have known that she's this person she's on tv and stuff i feel like you would have known something whatever so jackie was the assistant remember she's the assistant attorney general she's not the big big bad guy The attorney general at the time was a man named Charlie Crist. Charlie was friends with Lou. No. Yes. There's photos of Charlie and Lou together. Also, Lou sponsored Charlie during his campaign. Isn't that a little fishy? Mm -hmm. So at this point, Charlie calls Jackie into questioning and being like, why are you looking into Lou? Like, what, what are you doing, girl? No. He said, you should just close the case. The investigation's done. It's all closed. But Jackie's like, yeah, no, I'm not like willing to close the case because it's not done. It still needs looked into. So Charlie fired Jackie. And all this is because Lou paid Charlie. Of course. 
Side note about that, the Boy Band Con documentary came out early 2019. Jackie passed away November 2019 after battling cancer. So she didn't even get to see how, like, important and popular this was and how it really fruitioned over the years, which is kind of a bummer. Yeah. So since Lou had cracked the code on how to scam people at this point, he started getting more bold with his adventures in scamming. Lou used his old high-profile success in the boy bands to start luring investors into the business that were under the umbrella of Transcontinental. That's what I talked about way at the earlier part of this episode where I was like, oh, you know, it started then, but he's going to kind of glide through it throughout his whole life. So Lou claimed that Transcontinental had this empire that would include an airline, a film and a music studio, a talent and a travel agency, as well as restaurants and real estate. So everything, right? So he also used the former record company that featured NSYNC and like Backstreet Boys and stuff as a way to con people in because, you know, they would come in and want to invest and they would see all these posters and pictures and all these things. And they're like, wow, this this dude has it all together. Yeah, like I'm the reason why they're so popular. And especially if you're getting older people that are like retired and stuff, they might not have known of all the drama that happened later. Right. So and also a lot of people just didn't know in general because. You didn't even know about it and you lived through it. (laughs) Like, nope, I had no idea. And no strings attached. You didn't think that was about Lou. You had no idea. Nope. People didn't know unless you were like part of the industry or something. So he started having transcon investors put their life savings into the companies. And I'm talking like older retired people, people that had, you know, gotten this money through family members, things like that, where this is all they have. And they're putting their entire savings into this because he has the promise it's going to make them rich just like him. And they will have this new upcoming investment opportunity. And it's, you know, super rare. You're getting in on the ground floor. It's going to be called the Employee Investment Savings Account. So how Lou proposed it is he said, if you invest in the company with your money, then you essentially are going to get like a stock of what this is, like a shared stock. And your money will gain interest as the company is growing and it's going to keep making you more money and you can then, you know, cash it out. Lou promised the investors that it was safe and secure. He even offered substantial returns year after year. And he claimed the plan was FDIC insured and backed by numerous famous insurance companies, which he forged papers for and stuff. But after people would give him the money, they would receive no paper trail They would never be able to find their paperwork, see it, anything. They would have no stocks, nothing to show for the money or anything that they even put into the company. Some people even went as far as to trying to like ask if they could cash things out. And there would be stories being like, well, yeah, you can if you go to the main building. But then they would go to the main building and they'd be like, oh, well, we can't get it today because it's in the vault. And only Lou can unlock the vault and he's not here on that day. So like you can try to come another day. There was just, you know, story after story of why these people couldn't get their stuff back. I just I remember the vault story because it's just so silly. Like, like, really? Yeah, because the people would be like, "Okay, well, can't you just it's literally a piece of paper to sign over me and my check. And they're like, well, we can't. It's in the vault. We can't do that. So Lou essentially was running a giant Ponzi scheme. And I've heard the term Ponzi scheme a bajillion times. I did not know what a Ponzi scheme technically is. I know like what a pyramid is. I I get, I get the concept here, but I wanted to figure out what a Ponzi scheme truly is. So a Ponzi scheme is classified as a fraudulent investing scam that promises higher rates 
with return, uh, higher rates of return with little risk to the investors. So essentially, you're going to be in a roundabout once the Ponzi scheme starts because you're going to take money in from new investors and use that to pay back the old investments and keep doing that in a circle. But as the time goes on, you're going to be paying back less and less. And the scheme usually will start to unravel because you're going to run out of people to con. So you can't pay back the new pe- the older people, but you're still taking the money from the new people. And the old investors are going to catch up to the newer investors and you're just going to run out of money because this circle now has like a, a, a loose piece on it. So that's what was happening was he had all this money that he had collected, but now people were asking for their money, but he didn't have the money anymore. So he couldn't give it back. So at the same time this scam was being run, Cheney Mason comes back. Cheney Mason, the lawyer, pops in and he's like, hey, um, NBD, uh, I'm just just calling to let you know, um, yeah, you forgot to pay me for being your lawyer. Like you just never paid me for that whole like that little backstreet and sync thing I did with you. You you forgot to give me a check. <laughs> Which like fuck Cheney Mason, but this is the one good thing in life Cheney did because since he said that, he's like, hey, I want to like collect the money. Um Lou was like, no, I don't have it, so you can't have it. Like, no. And he was That's trying to not avoid how it works. <laughs> well, with him trying to avoid him, Cheney's like, fuck you, dude. And Cheney's, you know, an asshole. So his thought was he's like, hm, I'll go tell the FBI. Hey, you know what, Cheney? For the first time ever, you made a good life choice, my man. <laughs> That's pretty serious, though. Like, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. I'll go to the big guys. <laughs> so Cheney goes to the FBI and the IRS because he's like, where's where's my money? You know, I there's some fraud going on. He has money, I can tell, because he's lying to all these other people. I know the shit this man does. Where's my money? Mm-hmm. Well, the FBI starts looking into it and instantly they notice Lou has thousands of loans taken out throughout the u.s all different states all different amounts now see you guys thought this con was about the boy bands no you guys thought it was about this ponzi scheme no you thought it was about blimps no it's about bank fraud (laughs) so now we're moving into bank fraud so lou was reporting all different things on every single one sometimes he reported he had no income on other ones he reported that he was still making the nsync income other ones he reported that He had the Transcon, airlines, all this kind of stuff. But the thing is, is you have to be really good with paperwork because banks check that shit out and they look at what they're giving a loan to. Audits happen all the time. So he's also lying to the IRS and stuff. And by him saying he has no income, but he has hundreds of businesses, somewhere shit's shady. So the FBI is digging. And as they dig, they start finding all these documents. And they all seem to trace back to this weird thing about this investment opportunity with Transcon. And with that being the case, the FBI kind of like starts to push at Lou a little. So Lou's like, okay, bye. (laughs) You know what Lou said to them? He goes, bye, 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 bye. (laughs) And Lou fled the country. Now, Roger Handberg, he's a federal prosecutor in Central Florida he says that the moment they learned of Lou Perlman's investment schemes and bank fraud schemes in 2006, like he knew, he knew. Here's what he said. About eight days after I opened up our investigation, Lou Perlman fled the country. There are sometimes defendants do something that show that they, that they know that they're guilty. One of those things is fleeing. At that point, he had my total and complete attention. 
I mean, he's not wrong. No, nope. <laughs> I've seen things. People flee when they are in trouble. I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> I'm out of here. So the FBI started with the paper trails that Lou left behind in his home and office. Uh, that hamburger guy, he said, I almost said hamburger. Yeah. <laughs> so Handberg said when the authorities arrived at Pearlman's home, like Lou's mansion, it was in Windmere, Florida. They said it looked like someone had really left in a hurry. It was just a mess. There was paperwork of all of his cons everywhere around the house. Like the man did not hide anything. It was all just there out. And it showed that he had bank fraud loans up to a hundred million dollars at this point. So they started noticing that the paperwork was not matching up with bank frauds, that there was also other money. And they're like, what, what the fuck? I thought we were dealing with a bank fraud or what is <laughs> happening here? And then they were like, oh my God, these are all these transcon businesses. And they start realizing the businesses aren't real. All those places that transcon was buying, they were like, a lot of them were just stock empty businesses. He did own some real places, like he owned a pizza business, a yogurt business. He owned Chippendales, like the men that look at my wiener in my little outfit. <laughs> look at my wiener. He owned them. That's crazy. Fucking weird. Yeah. <laughs> this man owned everything. And like, when I say that Lou had his grubby little hands on everything, Orlando gave him the key to the city not long before this. Like, this man was influential. He's very good at lying. So one of these companies that was like a shell company, Transcon Airlines, we've talked about it a little bit, right? Yeah, the company didn't own any airlines, no airplanes, nothing. They owned an airplane hangar, but nothing else. So when the boys and the bands needed to take airplanes, he would reroute their travels to other companies like Delta or Southwest because he didn't own any airplanes. So he would like hire a Delta plane for the, the day or the weekend or whatever it is. He would have them come and park at his airplane hangar and pick up the boys and take them from that hangar. So it looked like so he that had he plans. had one. Yeah. There were twenty one hundred people invested in that company and others were looped in with that one. So he fraudulented fraudulented fraudulent frauded frauded up to half a billion dollars of just that company there's uh this part of the documentary and they show it one time lou did get like almost caught and they were like oh like show us your plane and many years before this when (laughs) him and alan were wanting to be part of you know the aviation world alan built a model toy airplane so Lou took a picture and he was just holding on with his little fingers to the back of the airplane and cut off the photo so you couldn't see his hand. And he put it somewhere where it looks like it's like flying and looking cool or whatever. And he put that picture on like his flyers and everything and said that that was one of his planes. When Alan found that out, Alan was fucking livid being like, this man used my shit to scam people. Also, you have to think, though. There was no editing. There was no digital cameras back then and stuff. Mm-hmm. So this man's like literally like posing with a printout camera and doing all this. Yeah, like using the the depth. Yes. To play with your mind. So he was committed to being a fraudulent artist. Oh, yeah. Now, since Lou was on the run, there was an international manhunt being led by the FBI. But it wasn't until 2007 when Lou was finally found. He was found in Bali in his hotel eating breakfast. So. 
they had like a hint that they knew where Lou might be and they had like five or six different places. So they sent agents out to all these places. One of them was Bali. So someone emailed the agents and were like, hey, um, I'm pretty sure I saw Lou Perlman this morning in my hotel lobby. And they were like, oh, are you sure? And the person's like, yeah, I have a photo of him. Do you want to see it? And they're like, yeah. So this person emails the FBI this photo. And in this photo is Lou Perlman sitting at a table eating. And the next table over at the bar is the agents who are searching for Lou Perlman eating there. Oh, no. But everyone had their backs to each other, so they didn't see each other. didn't notice. But luckily, they caught him that same day. (laughs) But it's still just one of those like, oh, my God, if they wouldn't have caught him, do you know how pissed everyone in the world would have been if they found that out? They would have lost their job. They definitely would. But it's one of those things where it's like they knew they were hot on the trail. So they were there and they're like, oh, you know, we'll take a minute. We'll eat and then we'll go back to searching. Yeah, exactly. But that moment they walk in, you know, and lose like not thinking they know he's here and everyone's in normal clothes. It's just so funny seeing that photo now. So Lou agreed to accompany the FBI to Guam. And at that point, he gets arrested and he was taken back to Orlando. In July 2007, he eventually started to plead guilty. At first, he only pled guilty to two offenses, but later he later he pled guilty to conspiracy conspiracy to commit bank fraud, money laundering, later bankruptcy, <laughs> and fraud in 2008. While on the run, he committed bank uh, bankruptcy like two or three times. Still leaving a paper trail, my man. Like, <laughs> bro, stop. Lou ended up being subjected to 25 years, which was the current maximum that he could be given at that time for what he had done. The judge at the time was Judge Sharp. And Judge Sharp realized that people were really irate that he was only going to get 25 years. Like people were livid after everything he's done, all these allegations, everything. So Judge Sharp was like, I kind of have like something I can say. And also all these people were pissed because, yeah, the banks and stuff got their money back. But all these people that he took this money from, they weren't getting it. Yeah. So people were upset because it was their whole life savings and everything they had. So Judge Sharp is like, I got a big old fuck you. Just wait for it. He said, Lou could have one month of his sentence reduced for every one million dollars he pays back to the victims. The judge said this thinking like maybe Lou had hidden money and he's going to get it unstashed, you know, but Lou took this as the idea like, fuck, yeah, I can make money. I'm just going to create a boy band. Oh, my God. <laughs> Which he's like, OK, so here's what I need, Judge Sharp. OK, um, I need the Internet. I need a TV. I need a computer. I need a phone. I need um boys that audition. I need and the judge is like, no, no. No, 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 you get not, you get a jail cell. Congratulations, sir. <laughs> Congratulations, <laughs> sir. So Lou realized his dream of making another boy band probably wasn't going to come true, but he still tried. He started a Christmas choir inside the prison. Not he held auditions same. for it even. Well, he he thought it was maybe a start. Then this bitch came along named Emily Dorset. Emily Dorset is a talent developer. And she flew all the way from California to Florida just to meet with Lou. And she's like, I'll help you. I will help you create a new boy band. I'm going to help you create a new show like making the band. You know, we're going to do it all again. We're going to take back Hollywood. It's going to be ours. Yeah, uh, that didn't happen. The two stayed in contact, but they never made any plans and nothing worked out. 
So Lou Pearlman would be set to be released from prison in 2029, but he started having health issues. In 2010, he suffered a stroke. He then later claimed to The Hollywood Reporter in 2014 that the stroke made him turn his health around, that he was doing a lot better. But then two years later, he actually passed away in the federal prison in Miami of a heart attack. You said the health made him turn his health around. Oh, I'm sorry. The stroke made him turn his health around. Whoops. Didn't even catch it again. So Lou died at 62 years old, still in Florida. And when the documentary gets towards the end and they talk about his death, everyone kind of has like an odd look on their face. Like you hear Ashley and he's just kind of like, you know, like I should be like relieved almost, but I'm I'm not. I don't know how I feel. And then it gets to Lance and Lance is like, I, I don't know. I feel bad kind of, but not like bad for him. Just bad kind of. And then you see Aaron and Aaron's like, I'm so sad. (laughs) And then there's like, you know, like AJ and people are like Kevin and people. And they're just like, you know, like it was, it's a weird feeling because he was such an influential part of our lives. And then he wasn't. And then he died. And you just remember the good Mostly because that's what you want to remember. It's it's just hard. I can see that. And everyone just kind of left it at that. And then the uh, documentary has some great music and it ends. So are there any people that <laughs> their lives were just like completely ruined from yes. losing all of their money? Tons. Like actually, literally, they're like poor. Yes. That's Most of them so didn't get sad. their money back or anything. So when the documentary came out. They did interview quite a few of those people. It's really sad when those people are on screen because they're all especially now really old. Um, Some of them talk about how like they used life insurance monies from family members that passed away, things like that. It was rumored, don't quote me on this, but some of the money from the documentary and stuff like that that was raised went to these families. I don't know if that's true. I couldn't figure it out. Like people talked about like it would be a good idea. Some people were like, oh, I think it is a thing. And then other people were like, no, I think it's only a thing because people on the Internet keep making like, it a thing. People want it to be. But yeah. Yeah. It's so I don't know. Backstreet Boys are on tour right now. They could give some of their proceeds back. <laughs> I know they're on tour because my friend Kayla just won tickets to them. You can't hide money. Yeah. So that's the boy band con. Wow. I said conned with a D at the end somehow. You did. Mm-hmm. So that's that. Whew. It's a lot. So I used a few different sources. Obviously, I don't know if you guys knew, but I used this documentary. Oh, <laughs> really? Um, it's called The Boy Man Con. The Lou Pearlman story. It's from 2019. It's now free on YouTube. It's it's long. It's an hour and 40 minutes. But it's good. It has a lot of firsthand experience, people talking and stuff. It's not just the boys in the band, too. They get other people. Alan Rickman. No, no, no. Severus Snape is not fucking in this. <laughs> Alan Gross, his best friend, was in this. I think it was the editor of Teen Vogue or whatever, or Seventeen, one of those. Which, by the way, she looks amazing. Uh, there's other, like, friends of his from his youth are in it. Like, there's there's people in it. All of the former managers and, like, promoters of Backstreet and NSYNC are in it and stuff. And it's it's really good. Uh, there's also a documentary called American Greed. It's the 2009 episode called Boy Band Mogul I watched. There's a 2020 episode on it called The Hitman from Pop to Prison. 
That's from December 13th, 2019. Kind of hard to find, but once you find it, it's not very good, but you can watch it. <laughs> um, I didn't read the whole thing, obviously, but there is a book. It is a lot to read. It is called The Hit Charade, Lou Pearlman, Boy Bands, and the Biggest Ponzi Scheme in U.S. History. It's by Tyler Gray. It's available on eBay, Walmart, Kindle, a bunch of places. It's not very priced well either, so I don't really suggest it. But if you truly want to like think that you are the know-all of NSYNC and Backstreet Boys, that's that's where you got to go, guys. <laughs> so, whew. isn't that wild? When wild. I, so I told Corey the other day i started singing like it's gonna be may oh we never even made the joke that's why we're doing this episode guys we didn't make the joke technically the whole time what joke the whole reason we're doing this episode right now is because this is the first episode in may and justin timberlake (sighs) it's gonna be may (laughs) that's the whole fucking reason we did this episode completely forgot whoops you know what else is coming up Mm, comic-con final friday oh it actually already happened. When, yeah. Oops. When I hear this. Well, it was there. How'd you guys feel? <laughs> um, Tell us about it. What'd you think? Well, okay. So before Final Friday, uh, I was singing It's Gonna Be May the yeah. other day uh-huh. around the house. And Corey's just like, why do you keep singing that song? <laughs> and I was like, because I was working on the episode all day today. And he's like, what does that have to correlate? Like what? And I was like, well, we're doing the boy band con. And he's like, what is that? What are the you said it really fast? Also, like, what did you just say to me? I was like, the boy band con. He's like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> and I was like, you know, like Backstreet Boys and Insync and the crazy con man that owned them and all the money and the Ponzi scheme. And he's like, are you sure you're talking about the right thing? Like, <laughs> I think Corey thought I was like trying to play a joke on him and like, Haha, I got you. It's uh, no Ponzi scheme, huge US scam artist owned Backstreet Boys. And I think he thought I was like confused about the topics I was talking about, but I was not. Um, We're doing an entire episode. Welcome to the episode, Corey. About boy bands. (laughs) Yeah. And Corey was just like, why are you doing that episode again? (laughs) Are you guys a true crime podcast? What's happening? (laughs) Like, go talk about some aliens or something. (laughs) Soon. Soon, young Padawan, we will. Soon. But for now, we boy banded up because it's May and Justin Timberlake told us we had to. He called us up and said so. <laughs> right? That'd be nice. <laughs> so nice. My sister thought she was going to marry him. She legitimately thought so. Tessa thought her and Justin Timberlake were meant to be. <laughs> they were in love. They were in love. Has she ever met him? No. Okay. <laughs> I think she went to their concert. Doing great. Doing great. Step one, meet him. <laughs> <laughs> She is married right now with kids. So step two, get divorced. <laughs> um, but otherwise, she is she's almost there to being his wife. Step one, meet him. Uh, one day, Tessa, one day. I mean, same for me with Ashen Kutcher, but, you know, it's fine. I think she had a crush on him, too, at one point. Oh, my God. Don't get me started with him. Did you see on TikTok me and Ryan Reynolds? No, no, don't get excited. He didn't like comment or anything. There's this trend on TikTok where it's like, who do you want to marry? And it has boys or girls so that you can be bisexual, you know, and I was doing it and it was like 
fucking giving me Miley Cyrus a bunch or like Madonna and people. And I'm like, oh, this is ridiculous. And I did it and I didn't get any good ones for the first two. So I was like, okay, third one, the last time I will do this. And literally I'm doing it and you can just see how bored and miserable I look. And in my head, I was like, oh, I wish like Johnny Depp or Ryan Reynolds is on here. And then Ryan Reynolds pops the fuck up. I don't even look at the rest of the choices. I pick Ryan Reynolds for every single one. I just like, I just at one point just start bobbing my head that direction. <laughs> I, was, I was over it. I want to marry him. But he's um, amazing. He's amazing. Literally. I love the amazingest. So, all right, guys. Well, thank you for tuning in. Let us know if you knew any of this because it was news to us maybe it's not news to you maybe we're just in the dark under a rock i just really had no idea i didn't know it went to this depth also yeah thought this would be a really fun episode where we can just sing and sing for an hour and nope i had to try to fit all this shit in it <laughs> so why are you an in-sync fan instead of a backstreet boys fan um it's just a feeling dirty pop pop <laughs> i do like no they just they have like more upbeat fun songs i feel like yeah backstreet boys when i think of them i think of like slow dancing in eighth grade to slow songs but like in sync <laughs> i think of like dancing around my room eating a pizza with my friends and like getting crunk off mountain dew i was not allowed i was not allowed to have mountain dew oh i wasn't either we would steal it from the neighbors <laughs> yeah <laughs> you'd steal it from the neighbors yeah. <laughs> Um, but I, I just feel like NSYNC has more like pop beats and I feel like Backstreet Boys has more like sultry, sexy boy beats. And I'm more about that pop life. I mean, they have a song called Dirty Pop. I think it's just called pop. No, it's Dirty Pop. Uh, You want to argue about this? I'm almost positive. Because I had one of those little hit track players and I, oh my God, remember those tiny little things? (laughs) I'm pretty sure it's just called pop. All right, guys, let's see. What's it called? It's Dirty Pop. But while you look that up, thank you so much, Damon Fikowski, for our always wonderful, amazing theme song. Artwork by Taylor with Lab Monkey Creative on Instagram. Editing by Corey with core.media.photography on Instagram. All a huge part of the Cryptic Soup fan. Fam. Fam. Not fan. Did I, I mean, maybe fam? they are fans. No. It's called pop. Fuck me. <laughs> we can't do that. I know, but I can. Oh. Steal with this pop life and when is it gonna fade out? <laughs> and then there's that one part where like uh, JT in the middle is like with his mouth and they, and he like wraps it out. All right, whatever. Don't forget to <laughs> follow the Instagram at Cryptic Soup Pod, where our DMs are always open for suggestions. So slide on in. We've gotten a lot of suggestions. So yeah, we're starting to actually get a lot more suggestions than I thought we would. I reorganized our um, <laughs> for Excel like seven time. It brings me so much joy. But I had to make a new new one for suggestions because we had so many. So I'm really excited. Um, we're gonna we we started getting into them. So. We love all of our reviews and ratings that you guys leave us on Apple Podcast or Spotify. It means a lot to us. Again, I really like that Spotify concept that you have to listen to us before you can give a rating because then I feel like our ratings are really genuine and like 
They're authentic, dude. Yeah. So Not thanks. that the Apple podcasts aren't authentic. Yeah. It's, I mean, I also like when you actually leave words on the Apple podcast rating. You can't do that on Spotify. So, like, you could be like, hey, guys, I love you guys. But, um, Athena, you need to take a fucking speech class because you don't know how to pronounce <laughs> shit. No one said that yet, but I know you all think it. So I'm just letting you know it's OK if you make fun of the way I talk. I do it every day. <laughs> We had a whole game of it this weekend where I tried to pronounce words. Turns out I can't. I said pecan pie and everyone stared at me like I'm you a fucking said jackass. pecan pie. That's what it's called. You said pie. Pecan pie. Pie. I say it the same way as you. So remember, guys, to subscribe, follow, tune in, keep up with us. Let us know your favorite NSYNC song, your favorite Backstreet Boys song. Who's better, Christina or I almost said Miley. Fuck. Brittany, <laughs> we'll see you next episode next Tuesday. Stay tuned. And I can't even remember the title, but it's that na 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 Backstreet's got it. Come on now, Backstreet's got it. We've got it going on. It was called We've Got It Going On. on. <laughs>